and uh, I'm so excited that you guys are here. Thanks for coming by, uh, especially if, if, you, if church really isn't your thing or if church has hurt you in the past or if, you know, a pastor like me hurt you in the past or if this pastor hurt you in the past. You're welcome here. So we're excited that, uh, that you're here. Uh, we're closing a series right now called Oaks from Ashes today. Uh, and uh, it, it's been a really good series. The whole series has been around this concept of spiritual practices and ancient spiritual disciplines. Basically things that for the last 2,000 years since Christ uh, came and returned that have uh, continued to culture a relationship with him and with one another. And each week we took a different spiritual practice. And as you came in, you received, uh, I think, a little bookmark that kind of had all of those on there. I want to make sure you get one of those on your way out if you didn't get one on the way in. Uh, It starts off with abide because that's basically the goal of all of these spiritual practices. They are to help us abide in relationship with God and with one another. And it lists each one we talked about in order all the way down to the one that we're going to talk about today, which is celebration. Uh, I want to start off by saying that I don't think we're going to talk about the kind of celebration that you're thinking about. We're going to talk about the hard work of celebration, not the easy work of celebration. So let me explain. Um, the easy work of celebration uh, happens usually when uh, we celebrate like somebody's win, therefore somebody else's loss. Or, let's be honest, somebody who's hurt us when they experience weakness or failure, you know how inside you feel, you, you try not to show it on the outside, but, but on the inside you're like, yes, that feels good. And it, that's, that's the kind of celebration, right? That Kind of that easy, cheap celebration that comes with knowing you're right and somebody else is wrong, or knowing your team did better than somebody else's team, and so on. That's, that's not the kind of celebration that we're going to talk about today. Instead, we're going to talk about celebration in its full and proper form and how it follows joyfulness. Um, and this sort of celebration is often difficult because it doesn't feel really good. It doesn't feel uh, uh, very, very like parade-like and confetti and streamers. It feels, it feels sort of angsty. Uh, the last service, I connected with this a little too difficult uh, passage that uh, I'm going to preach with you here in just a second. I connected with it in a way that when the service was done, people were crying as they were eating ice cream in the parking lot after church. Um, I also had some of my team come out, and they're like, what was that? Like, we are here to celebrate. And I was like, listen, I just follow what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. And some people in that room needed to know that they could cry and celebrate and eat ice cream all at the same time. So I don't know who's in the room with me today or who's streaming today, but, uh, but we're going to follow this text wherever it leads us. My hope is it doesn't lead to tears and ice cream. That's my hope. That's my hope. But for some of you, it may. Because for some of you, you need to feel the full weight of celebration upon your life, even if the circumstances you're walking through right now don't feel that celebratory. And so we're just going to keep it real. We're going to keep it honest. And uh, we're going to let God do what he wants to do with this very angsty message. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, Celebration follows joyfulness. Without celebration or joy, all of the spiritual disciplines that we've talked about inside this series will eventually become like just another chore or grocery list. You need celebration in order 
to uh, embrace them in order to unpack them and unlock them. Richard Foster, who's somebody we've been studying throughout this whole series, said, without a joyful spirit of festivity, listen to it carefully, without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. Basically, you just get good at it. You just get good at studying or good at praying. Praying's a really easy one, right? I, I, I pick on prayer a little bit in our church because I think sometimes people that we think have deep prayer lives are just people who are eloquent. And they're like, dear Lord, I just thank you so much for the moon and the stars and the sun and the, the, the heat of the lava of your love. And people are like, wow, this person really loves Jesus. And I'm like, mm, is that what that means? Or does that just mean that they've practiced their prayer uh, verbally time and time and time again until they got it good enough to impress people around them. My question is, is God actually impressed with the vulnerability of your prayer? Is God impressed with the authenticity of your prayer or are you praying for other people? This often happens when we don't engage the spiritual practices with joy, but instead engage them to build ourselves up, our reputation up, our church up, and our brand up. Celebration or joy is needed to power the spiritual disciplines within our lives, period. Otherwise, you're after them for a different angle. You are supposed to be engaged in them in a way that unlocks your heart. Basically, all spiritual disciplines have to be appropriately paid for before they can be accessed. And that cost is joy or celebration. There's a, there's a parable of a You should call it the parable of the trespasser is how the parable should be called, but it's actually called the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. Matthew 13, 44 and 46 says, The kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus talking, is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And so you've got this guy walking on somebody else's land, the, the trespasser, and he comes across this treasure. And he sees this treasure and he's like, this is, this is incredible. This is worth everything that I have back home and everything I could have. And he realizes that he could take the treasure, he could steal the treasure, but that's not how the access to the treasure works. And so he reburies the treasure and then he goes home and he begins to sell all of his possessions. In his joy, it says, he went and sold all of his possessions. You, now, I don't know about you, but I have a feeling his neighbors and his mom and dad and his friends down at the bar would have been like, bro, what are you doing? And he's like, trust me. But no, this is their life's work that you've built. Why are you selling this? Why are you getting rid of the business? Why are you selling all of these things that you've held so dear? And he's looking at them with eyes that say, trust me. I found a treasure hidden in a field when I was trespassing last Saturday. It's amazing. <laughs> It's amazing. Then it describes another man that was out looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, meaning one he could not afford on his own, even though he's a pearl purchaser, he don't got money for a pearl at this level. So he goes and he does what he does. He sells everything that he can in order to go and buy it. This is teaching us that the way in which we gain the treasure of heaven matters. These people do it through joy. 
Both of them do these things, the selling of these things through joy. Because joy is where we find our connection to what matters. When we celebrate the fact that we get to pay a cost in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. A lot of us, we enter the kingdom of heaven because we're supposed to. Because tradition says we're supposed to. Or the legacy of our family says we're supposed to. Or somewhere along the way we married someone who said, if you're going to be married to me, then you're supposed to. (laughs) You're like, I wasn't here for a marriage lesson. Well, I'm sorry you're getting one. We enter these scenarios because oftentimes we have shame or guilt or we feel like there's no other way. When God says that we are to enter these scenarios through paying a cost and to do it joyfully. Another way to understand this is yes, the application of any spiritual discipline will come with a cost. But often that cost can be supplemented through expressions of great joy. You want to be known as somebody who serves It's going to cost you self-denial to do it well. If you're not willing to deny yourself, then you're not really serving somebody in order to serve them how they're supposed to be served. You're serving them in order to build up your own ego or to make sure people know that you're just a great servant. You want guidance? You want to actually be someone who learns? You want to be a student of the word or a student of the world? It's going to cost you pride. That means you're going to have to sit with people and not be a know-it-all. I know a lot of people, a lot of people with a lot of wisdom that, that kind of topped out at a certain point in their life because it just got too hard for them to admit there's still areas in their, lives, in their life that they're ignorant, areas in their life that they don't know everything, but they're so used to being in that reputation as a person of knowledge that now they just pretend. And so nobody teaches them anything, and they walk around incredibly afraid that somebody might find out someday. I know this. They've shared it with me. You want to study God's word? You want to study God's word and really unlock the treasures that, were, that are within it? It's going to cost you self-discipline. It's not easy. All of these things have a cost. Foster goes on to say, without joyous celebration to infuse the other disciplines, we will sooner or later abandon them. For joy produces energy. Joy makes us strong. Hmm. Joy is what keeps you in the game. Joy is what keeps you refining. Joy is what keeps you paying a cost for that treasure in the field of your marriage that you know is there somewhere, but you've lost it somewhere along the way. There's a really well-known verse that drives us home in Nehemiah, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What would it look like right now to live the rest of your life strong in the Lord? Apparently, it would look joyful. Apparently, you would apply this to your life through the joy of the Lord. Not through Danny becoming better at study or better at fellowship or better at worship or better at confession or better at service or anything else on this list. Apparently, it is the joy of the Lord that provides the strength I need in order to engage the rest of these spiritual practices. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 unpacks this in an even deeper way. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Not sometimes, by the way, for those who are like, well, not all the time. No, it it, it says always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And listen to verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This passage is speaking to this idea that when you find your strength in the joy of the Lord, you can rejoice or celebrate no matter the circumstances you may find yourself in. Joy is the literal avenue by which we come upon peace. This, uh, this was a really life-giving verse to me this week. I have, some, uh, I have some mental stuff that I have wrestled with chronically throughout my life. Uh, within this area, I have found little peace over the years. I will often feel like I am able to push back the dark thoughts for a few days or even weeks, only to feel my mental walls crumble and down the rabbit hole I go again. When I read this passage, something I hadn't seen before jumped out at me. When I read that last verse, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I read that verse, I realized that when I rejoice in the Lord, whatever my circumstances, what I get in return is the peace of God. I just tweaked it a tiny bit, which surpasses all understanding, standing guard over my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That is where I find my peace is in the joy of the Lord. That is what he does. He comes and stands guard over my mind. He comes and stands guard over the areas that make me anxious or the areas that make me feel like I'm going to be pulled under once again. I tried to keep it not angsty, but we just went there because somebody in the room needed to hear it. I think a lot of us are looking for peace. We're trying to overcome habits or addictions or some sort of chronic thing in our life that just, that just sucks the joy out of our hearts. And what we're really supposed to do is take a step back, look at the field of opportunity that is the treasure that is God's will for our lives, and we're supposed to recognize the stuff we've been holding on to. That stuff's got to get sold. It's got to go away. We can't self-discipline ourselves out of this difficult world. We, we can't, we can't uh, move out of every obstacle's path. But apparently, according to God's word, what we can do is find strength in the fact that I have a God and you have a God that I can find joy in. And that joy can become the strength I so desperately need when I'm feeling so weak. This is the power that joy holds within itself. And when it's allowed to hold that space within our lives, the Bible describes us as becoming entirely new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we'll use the King James Version, says, Therefore, if any man may be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I like this passage because it says that Old things are passed away. It doesn't, think, doesn't say all things are passed away. It's almost like God's good enough that when he remakes you, he leaves the good stuff and just gets rid of the bad. And then along with the good stuff, he begins to create a newness about you that causes you to see the world in a different way, not a normal way, like a very new creature-y kind of way. I would even say a weird way. I got a Bible pass just to back it up. It's just straight up weird. There's a man in the Bible 
by the name of Paul, and he wrote a large portion of the New Testament. He's kind of a big deal. And this man was once a, a fire-breathing Christian hater. But then God got a hold of him. God took his sight for like three days and then gave it back. And then he's like, you're going to do some new stuff for me. You're going to be new creature Changed his name even from Saul to Paul. Like, I don't know anybody right now who came to Jesus and just got a brand new name. I think it's supposed to drive home the point of what this man was to represent for us still here today. This man went from someone persecuting Christians to someone being persecuted by everyone. Not just people who hated Christians, I don't know if you realize this, but also Christians. Because you can't kill Christians one month and then be like, hey guys, how about some communion the next? Like, we Christians are smarter than that. We saw you coming. Yeah, change your name from Saul to Paul. Oh, 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 what? I didn't know who you were because now there's a P in your name. Lock it down, he's in town, right? <laughs> he rolls in and starts doing this stuff. And slowly over the years, people realize, oh, he's, he's like new creature. This is the work of Jesus, I'm pretty sure. This isn't normal. But there's a whole group of people who still are like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because once you have tasted that sort of darkness, you can't just become a new person just because the Messiah changed your life, which is the whole point, by the way. So anybody in here, you got a bunch of people who say you can't become a new person, like, like, like you don't get to drop the stuff of old and new. I'm just here to tell you that's not what God's word says at all. And I am also here to say, this is another tangent, which is for this room and whoever else is listening. Sometimes it's the actual Christians who tell you you're not qualified to be a Christian. That doesn't seem to bother Paul. At one point he's preaching. I think he's in Rome at this time. And he ends up being thrown uh, in prison and put in chains, but they still let him write letters. And so he's getting word back and forth about what's happening in the areas that he's preached. And word comes to him that those people who don't agree that he's really even uh, maybe a Christ follower at all are out there messing up all the work he's done amongst the churches. Like they're just, they're just stirring stuff to stir stuff. And so he pens a response. Consider yourself in change. You've spent years building a ministry. And the people now that are messing up your ministry are your fellow preachers. This is what he says in Philippians 1, 15 through 18. He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So he defines them both. And I want to say something really clearly here. He says they're both preaching Christ. There's another letter that Paul writes in Galatians where he actually condemns the people who are preaching the false gospel. This is not what's happening here. See, these people are preaching Christ. They're preaching the true gospel. They're not anti-Jesus. They're just anti-Paul. And so he says, it's true. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. And then he goes, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. What? 
That is not what would be in Danny's letter, which is why I wasn't born at this time and you aren't reading a book written by me. I would have been like, listen, you tell these fools when I get out of prison, which I'm sure the Lord's going to free me at any moment, I'm going to find them and I'm going to pray them into the ground. <laughs> I'm going to break them with the gospel sword of the Lord is what I'm going to do. I would, I would lose my mind. This is my life's work you're messing with. But that's not what Paul said because he's a brand new creature. He says, I don't care if Jesus is preached to, to hurt me or if Jesus is preached to bless me. As long as Jesus is preached, I'll find joy. His circumstances matter not. In chains, out of chains, people hating him, people not hating him. He is a brand new creature because he has fully embraced this idea that we are called to find joy. And so suddenly he becomes a man who of great fellowship and worship and journaling and prayer and mourning and meditation. He becomes a man of great spiritual practice all because his perspective through joy is strengthened and suddenly this horrible, horrible situation provides for itself an opportunity for him to smile and probably fall asleep at night going, pretty cool they're out there preaching Jesus. I, I wish they weren't preaching anti-Paul, but still they're out there preaching Jesus. I'm going to turn over in my stinky blanket and rotten straw. Just let them do what they're supposed to do. God knows where I am. And God knows where you are. Those who have been persecuted yourself for trying to change your lifestyle. Even by fellow church people. The truth is, celebrating at its core brings with it a transformative risk. You can't really do the hard work of celebration without risking that you might transform. You might end up with some new creature stuff. You might end up as a more patient dad or a more patient mom. You might end up as a coworker that's less concerned about the bottom line and more concerned about people's hearts. If you embrace joy like you're supposed to, you have to risk transformation. There's just no other way that I can see to engage it. Last week, we talked about how desperately God wanted his people when they had escaped slavery. You know, for about 400 years, they were in bondage in Egypt. And we talked about how they, they end up in the desert following this guy and he gives them commandments. And, and, and part of those commandments uh, are, are to rest and to take Sabbath. How he adds festivals and celebrations to their culture, doing this thing called the Sabbath year every seven years where they were to take a huge faith risk and step back from their work, their, their, their regular work for an entire year as they dedicate the land back to God and thank God for the way that he was providing for them and all that stuff. We talked about how for the next 500 years, there's no proof that they actually ever took a Sabbath year because it's just a whole lot of faith. And how eventually those same people ended up in Babylon. And how for 70 years they were captured there, which is the exact amount of years that they would have, you know, uh, given to God had they taken a Sabbath year every seven years for the first 500 years before that. How God doesn't mess around with this stuff. I don't know if you know this, but there's an even more extreme command when it comes to God causing his people to celebrate, therefore remember, therefore risk transformative faith, therefore find themselves in a place of great joy in something that is called the year of Jubilee. 
the year of Jubilee happened every seventh, seventh year. So the 49th year would be a Sabbath year, typical seven, seven, seven. But every seventh, seventh year after the 49th year would be followed by the 50th year of Jubilee, an additional entire year off. The 50th year was to be a time of rejoicing for the Israelites. And again, a time when they would have to embrace transformative risk as the entire nation took off two years in a row from all work. Along with this, the year of the Jubilee involved a year of release from indebtedness and all types of bondage. Every prisoner and captive was set free during the year of Jubilee. Every slave was released, all debts were forgiven, and all property was returned to its original owners. Tradition has it, by the way, that Jesus Christ was born during the year of Jubilee. You see, celebration is at the heart of the way of Christ. Foster says, he entered the world on a high note of jubilation. I bring you good news of a great joy, cried the angel, which shall come to all the people. And he left the world, bequeathing his joy to the disciples. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. See, when you can embrace stuff like this, then it doesn't matter... It doesn't matter if you can't work for a year. It doesn't matter if, if, if God has called you to pay certain costs, especially if you know it deep within your heart that God has called you to pay certain costs in order to experience the power of his presence, then you will be someone who sells everything in order to exchange it for the one who is everything. I am terrible at this. I wish I was better, but I'm not. Hence the angst that you're most likely experiencing right now and that nine o'clock experience full throttle. See, I want to be someone who tells you how to celebrate well, but I just don't do it well. I've never done it well. I think somewhere along the way, probably being a cancer kid, I was a Dornbecker kid, so I was sick for like the first 13, 14 years of my life. I think for a while there, I think that I thought that that birthday was my last birthday. And so I didn't really engage them like I should. I was sitting in my uh, therapist's office about two years ago, and we were talking about this problem of mine, not really celebrating, not slowing down enough to allow things to be a hallmark, not really being willing to pay certain costs because, well, I don't know if I'm going to be gone, you know, by the end of the week. And so I don't want to pay the cost of rest. And I definitely don't want to pay the cost of Sabbath. And I certainly don't want to pay the second cost of year of jubileeness. And so he sat down and he goes, Danny, tell me about you as an old man. And I went, what? And he goes, well, tell me about you as an old man. And I said, I, and he just looked at me and, and, I'll, and then he, he, he knew because he's tricky this way. And he goes, you've never thought about you as an old man. And I went, no, no, I haven't. And he goes, why not? And I said, well, I just, I just never really realized or thought I'd ever get to be an old man. And I said, crap, what am I going to do with all these tattoos if that actually happens? Because <laughs> you don't see a lot of 75-year-olds rolling around like this, that's for sure. <laughs> See, I haven't celebrated well because I haven't trusted well. 
And I'm trying to change that, which is why this weekend feels so raw. Because the one thing I promise you from the beginning is that I'll never get up here and perform for you. So even though I'm preaching this stuff, and I, think, and I believe in it, and I know it's important, it's really, really hard for me to apply it. And maybe that's okay. Maybe the whole point is just somebody on stage under lights finally admitting that they don't always know what they're doing. I want to I be different. I want to I try. I want to be a 75-year-old, incredibly in good shape, handsome old man with neck tattoos. That's what I want to be. That's my goal. Yes, yes, amen, yeah. Mm. Mm. Everybody wants that, right? Who doesn't want that, Grandpa, with knuckle tats? Come on, that, how good is that? How good is that? I didn't think through it. <laughs> I didn't. Thought I'd be out of here about mid-40s, which is where I'm at right now. So, um. But the, the beauty of it is just this. The beauty of it is that God is so willing to meet me even in my weakness because God still recognizes there's a lot in this world to celebrate and that I can find strength in the joy of his presence. And so therefore I can apply all these things to my life without missing them, without adding them in order to help me be a better performer, but will add them just simply because I'm his son and he's my dad and I'm trying to work this stuff out and he knows it and he's patient. And so I don't, I don't know who that's for. I don't know who in this room struggles with celebrating, but I want to let you know that that's okay. Also, for those of you who are really, really good at this, people like me need you. We need you to show up. We need you to, to throw those parties. We need you to slow down and, and ask the questions. And I have a few of those people in my life who are like, hey, how beautiful is this? How, how beautiful, by the way, is this? That we can get in this room, we can talk about stuff we're not good at, and the Holy Spirit can do whatever it is he's doing with you right now and my feeble, very, very messy words this morning, and it can be enough. How good is our God that he works with us just where we are? In the ancient days, during the time when Israel had the temple where, where God was residing, the people of Israel would journey there and they would worship during the yearly festivals and celebrations. And as they traveled up and through the mountains, they would sing what are songs known as songs of ascent. These songs are recorded in Psalms chapter 120 through chapter 134. And they were songs reminding the people of God's grace, God's mercy, God's provision, God's protection, and God's salvation. Some of them pointed to Yahweh as their source of strength in troubled times. And others pointed to uh, historical counts of God's rescue. There are verses of surrender. There are pleas of deliverance. There's condemnation of their own sin. All of these songs, with every step drawing them closer to the place of God, were poured forth from their mouth as they moved to the place where God was. This week, I'd like to offer you those songs of ascent for your own foundations. I'd like to offer you those songs for ways in which you could start like I am to engage something that maybe you're not very good at. Celebration and joy. May you risk 
pouring forth your own song inside your own area. Whatever one of these spiritual practices you struggle with the most, may you risk pouring forth a song of ascent about that. God, help me to mourn better. Help me to confess better. Help me to journal, to pray, to Sabbath, to study, to serve. Meet me in the midst of this place as I continue to seek where you're at. No matter your circumstance, look for him and he will be there. While you wrap your mind around a medical diagnosis, may you sing of his sovereignty. When you feel unworthy, may you press into his guidance. When you celebrate the gift of his forgiveness, as you realize you've once again failed to reach the righteousness you thought you would. And in the midst of persecution, may you solidify your courage in his strength. From the lowest valley of despair, may you lift your face upward, pleading for help and trusting that he is already with you. My prayer is that as we wrap this series up, that it's not just another religious game we get good at, but that it becomes something woven into our hearts that it becomes a posture we take with him and with one another, that we're honest about what we're weak at, what we're strong at, where God wants us to show up and where he wants us to shut up. And that in the end, we are children. Children in the hands of a loving God who's gonna meet us right where we are. I believe he will receive those songs, those prayers, those convictions, those confessions, but only if we're willing to do it in a posture of joy and so strength that wherever we're weak, he will be enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to create a space for us to, to allow within ourselves a stirring, an awakening, a conviction, a whisper, to allow us, God, to just hold space with each other in your presence so that you can highlight within our hearts what songs we need to lift and ascend. I thank you for every person in this room, every person who's watching online. And I ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself deeper, more powerful, more clearly, more authentically than you ever had before. Allow us just to sit now, to receive from you now, as we lift you our song. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you guys to stand with us as we close out with this worship song, as we praise God for whatever season that we are walking through, and sing this song called The Highlands. Oh, how high would I climb mountains if the mountains were where you'd hide? 
And oh, how far I scale the valleys If you grace the other side And oh, how long have I chased rivers From lowly seas to where they rise Against the rush of grace descending from the source of its supply Cause in the highlands and the heartache You're neither more or less inclined And I would search and stop at nothing Cause you're just not that hard to find No, you're not Praise you on the mountains. I will praise you when the mountains in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. So I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows. And no
monsters we call grace a mighty river flowing of words from a deep but empty grave Amen. so i will praise you on the mountains come on lift it up and i will praise you when the mountains in my way you're the summit where my feet are yeah. so i will praise you in the valleys all the same and no less god within the shadows and no less faithful where the night leads me astray you're the In the highlands and the heartache all the same. Oh, you are the same yesterday, God. And today and forevermore, you'll be the same. Oh, we thank you. Oh, we stand on that promise. So may the joy of the Lord. Let it be my strength. May the joy of the Lord. Oh, may it be my strength. Let it be my strength. Oh, may the joy of the Lord. Come on, let's sing that over our lives and our families. Let it be my strength. Oh, we pray. May the joy of the Lord. Oh, let it be my strength, let it be my, come on, sing it again. Oh, may the joy of the Lord, oh, let it be our strength here today in this place, God. Oh, may the joy of the Lord, oh, let it be my strength, let it be my strength, so may the joy of the season God may the joy of the Lord may it be my strength let it be my strength oh may the joy of the Lord in every season let it be my strength we lean on you today God may the joy of the Lord let it be my strength, let it be my strength, let it be our strength. God, we pray that in this moment right now. 
Father, we are coming and asking for the peace that surpasses all understanding in every season that we're walking through. From the valleys to the mountains, God, we know that you're here. We know that you're moving and we trust you. I pray that our hearts and minds would know that truth as we walk out of this building here today. God, may we find your peace in every moment and every hour. We lift these songs of worship to you. God, we are joyful in this place, knowing that you love us and that we love you. So may we focus on that here today in this place. We love you. We ask all of these things in your son's beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you guys so much for being here with us today. Thank you for celebrating. We've got some fun ice cream outside, so we want to invite you out there. Please stick around, hang out, meet someone new, or check in with someone you haven't seen in a while. But we love you. Thank you for coming, and we hope to see you guys next week.